Hello, how you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? It's Thursday and we are back with episode 133 of the Two Shot Podcast. How's things? Are you keeping well? Keeping safe? Obviously, of course you are. Well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope it's all going well. And what lovely responses to April Pearson's episode last week. Um, Thanks so much for all your messages with that and for downloading and subscribing. And have I got a treat for you this week. Now, a few years back, and I'm always very excited for a new Ken Loach film because I've seen Martin Comstead in Sweet Sixteen many, many times. And also it's Ken Loach and he's just a fantastic filmmaker and, you know, nothing ever comes easy and he asks questions from his audience uh, and he doesn't patronise them. So, yeah, we need cinema like that. And when I saw I, Daniel Blake... It was no exception at all. Um, Yeah, I left. I remember leaving the pictures upset, angry, um, but kind of dazzled as well because Hayley Squires, who is this week's guest, um, gave a performance like I hadn't seen for, for a long, long time. It was assured, yet raw and heartbreaking and I've just been an absolute huge fan of her ever since and I, I remember meeting her a couple of years ago sorry I'm going off on one here I remember she was in a play in London and I bumped into her with a few other friends and we started talking and she agreed to come on the podcast then and it's taken a couple of years <laughs> to get her on but um, I'm really thrilled that she did and we've just had um, an incredible chat it's very open, it's very honest. Um, talk about passions and uh, failures and expectations. And we do touch on parts of the acting industry. Um, and we also talk about a new television series, which I watched all four episodes up to one o'clock last night, which I think I start talking to her at the beginning of the episode about it's called adult material and it is uncompromising shocking upsetting devastating funny it's very funny and it's um, you know, incredibly scripted by lucy kirkwood and the acting is is yeah it's as good and it pushes boundaries um and it's television that that makes you sit up and take notice. And I don't know when it's going to be on. I'll uh, I'll put a, a TX um, date uh, um, to air date in the in the blurb later on. But uh, yeah, we kick off talking about that. Um, that's it. I've, I've I've gone on enough. Um, I'm quite energised because I've literally just got off the Skype conversation with Haley. And I'm getting this recorded for you now. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, this is episode 133 of the Two Shot Podcast with the one and only Hayley Squires. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
and I shall see you at the end. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Good. I'm slightly tired because um, I stayed up till one o'clock last night. Doing finishing what? watching adult material. Oh so my I've, gosh. I, 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 I rinsed all four. In one go? In one night? In, in, in one, one sitting. Oh. Yeah. Because at first, and you know, we said before, we're not going to go into it too much, but first off, congratulations, because I think it's incredible. Thank you, mate. I mean, the cast, I mean, the writing is, there's so many absolute zingers yeah. in, that, in that first episode, because the first episode, tonally, I was unsure. I was going, right, okay, are we going for the comedy element mm. here? And then all of a sudden, it just takes a real dark turn yeah. I'm, I'm trying to be really careful of what I, I say highly um but you know I'm not going to ask you what attracted you to the role or stupid questions like that because it's quite clear yeah um research wise I mean obviously I just talked about Lucy's amazing script mm-hmm. so it, obviously it was all there but did you have to delve into that murky world yeah, we did. Um, and, I mean, Lucy's been... Lucy had written... These scripts have been on the go for about seven years, I think. Lucy's mm. been trying to make it for a very long time. Um, and I think, quite honestly, everybody was a bit scared of it. Um, and I think it sort of started out in a different place for Lucy. When she started writing it, I think it was quite black and white in the sense of it was, like, showing how porn... Um, is bad, essentially. Um, yeah. And I think the more research she did and the more she found out about the world, her view of it changed to the point of where it's like, what I think the show does is that you get to the end of it. And I think some people are going to watch it and go, I'm certain how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. And it's really bad. Other people are going to watch it and go, I'm certain how I feel about it. And actually it's a brilliant business and it's something that people need in their lives. I think a lot of people are going to watch it and go, I don't know how I feel still, Um, which I think makes for the most interesting storytelling. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's nothing worse than people not having an opinion on something. I would sooner somebody go, absolutely yes or absolutely no. Yeah. It's not not a little bit this or a little bit that. It's very definite with what it is in its its tonal shifts. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I understand why people would have been scared. Yeah, to make it, yeah, definitely. yeah, me too. Because nobody's done. It goes into it, you know. Now the your the lead character across the the four episodes is a porn star, mm. and so there's only one way to tell that story, and that's by going into her world. And obviously, what the story then unfolds to be about to do with consent and duty of care in porn and all of those things, you have to go in on it. You can't just sit back and kind of tell that story. No. So we did, yeah, we researched. We had a brilliant um, a brilliant advisor, a woman called Rebecca Moore, who's worked in the adult industry for a long time, um, has done different porn movies, different porn content, and actually is now quite a big gay icon and has this huge um, social media following. Mm. 
and does club appearances um, and is a gay rights advocate and is actually much more of a sort of character than it is about her being on screen and having sex. Um, so Rebecca worked with us and she kind of got us into the places because the porn world is a little bit like the magician circle, like trying to get on the inside right. of it to try and find out the secrets. It's very guarded mm. um, for obvious reasons. You know, one is to protect the performance and the other is to keep the illusion that has been built up. Um, but she managed to get us in We and we did some work with her, some rehearsals with her in terms of moving like a porn star and putting on that performance. But we also, myself, um, Lucy, Sienna, who's in the show, and Dawn, who directed it, we went on set of a of a porn shoot. And we were there from the sort of start of their day right up until the moment where they were about to begin having sex. And the guys on set were like, you can stay, it's fine. But we sort of agreed amongst us. It, was, it felt ever so slightly too personal or too uh, exposing for the people involved. Yeah. So we opted to leave. Um, maybe expo- and maybe quite exposing for you as an yeah, like, like I was, audience member. I mean, fuck Yeah, hell. I sort of went, I don't know that I want to sit here and d- mm, this is going to no. leave me with a certain feeling of, you know, I've never watched people have sex in front of me. And, um, and you can't unsee that. And you can't unsee that. <laughs> and then that's in your head. And also it was a bit like there's sort of enough... Um, I was quite aware of the size of the role and what I was trying to convey as it was without... It was almost like if I saw that, I would put too much pressure on myself or it would become... I don't know, it felt like it was going to shift something in my head a little bit that wasn't going to be helpful. Um, But yeah, then watch loads of documentaries, as many as I could find, um, and there aren't aren't actually that many. Um, But working with Rebecca a lot, she told us a lot of what goes on... um, and Lucy had also done a huge amount of research. And the, the podcast, um, The Butterfly Effect, the Mark Ronson podcast. Yeah, it was, yeah. Which is very, very helpful. And he kind of tracks all of that huge corporate um, economical side of it, which is the most fascinating thing about it, I think. And that gets very dark, that podcast as well. It does, yeah. The deeper, the deeper he goes. Yeah. Um. So that was quite helpful to listen to as well, mm. just in terms of tracking that story and being able to imagine a world that exists in America that where this all comes from. Because um, it just feels so like... You know, taboo is such a shit word for it. It feels like that thing that... Porn has obviously developed over the years in terms of our access to it and content and all of that kind of stuff and how we're able to have it in our lives. But it's still so, I don't know, it's just kind of like this hidden world. Yeah. And this big secret, even though we're all so exposed to it in different forms, or have it as part of our lives. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be interesting, mate. It's going to be interesting. Also, with Lucy's script, what she doesn't do is follow the obvious avenues of what you would think that we've seen before. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, uh, um, you know, look, Magnolia. Is, no, Boogie Nights springs Boogie Nights, to mind. Yeah. Forget all this. But that follows certain avenues of uh, the 
huge ecstasy of the porn industry and it's mm. this and it's one big party and then it just goes really, really dark. Um, it doesn't follow that. And also, even though there are sex scenes in your show, I never felt that they were gratuitously shot in any way. That was important. I mean, in all of it, there is very, there is very little nudity. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that because I think that the natural thing for people to do with a Channel 4 show that's about, essentially about the porn industry, um, people get this idea that they might be titillated or that it might yeah. be something that's there to shock or it's going to be this kind of in-your-face, um, gratuitous thing with not a lot to say. And actually, I've been trying to say to people, yes, it's set in the world of porn, but it's actually not entirely about that. No. It's about this woman who sets herself off on this journey, quite unsure of why she's doing it, and then the sort of demons that exist in her life that are all to do with consent and um, different forms of abuse and a woman's place in her work and addiction and um, all of those different kinds of things. So, yes. Yeah, so power. And power and, play and, and money and who's and, in charge. And being a mother. Yeah, and being, being a, a mum. Being a parent. Mm. I mean, I don't... Th- we can always cut this off. It is a spoiler, but... Yes, she is a parent to... How many she got? Four or five? Three kids. Th- oh, three? Yeah. <laughs> God, I, always, I, always thought, I always thought there was like shitloads like yeah. running around. It's because the but, house is so full all the time. Yeah, she's got three kids. But she takes on the role of a mother to somebody else. Yeah. Very early on. Yeah, to the character so of Amy. Yeah, exactly. And it's that thing of not knowing why... She, I... Me and Lucy talked about this, and we described Jolene as, you know, at the beginning of The Sopranos, Tony, mm-hmm. Tony Soprano sits down with his therapist and is like, I've become boss when it's all ending. Yeah. And that's kind of how she is. It's sort of the yeah, mindset she's, she's a, in. She's at a certain age in her yeah. career. Yeah, yeah. And I think at one point, whose character is it? It's either Phil or Rupert Everett's character who says she's 35 and then she comes back with going, no, I'm yeah, it's Rupert. Or yeah, 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 yeah. Or I'm, or I'm 30, she's lying about her age. Yeah. And so she begins in this place of going, yes, I'm top of the game, but A, the industry is changing in a way that I can't even keep up with, with social media, content, new girls coming in, doing six months in porn and then they're gone. Um, and the sort of that need for content and that need to push for the more extreme um, and then the sort of bureaucracy side of it and the corporate side of it where it's like, who owns this? Mm. Who owns this content? What does the internet do to it? Um, and so she begins in a place where she thinks she's fully in charge and she's got all these plates spinning in her life, being a mum, being a wife, doing her job, um, trying not to let her work sort of infect her home life, which it's be- begun to do both metaphorically and literally, um, which we'll find out. And then when she meets this girl, I think she... It's a projection, isn't it? She she recognises something in her that A, terrifies her or makes her jealous, but then also that resonates with her massively and speaks to these sort of very suppressed um, traumas that she has in her past. So then she kind of just goes off on this journey, not really knowing why she's doing it. 
And it's, I think it's only when she gets to the end, the very end of it, that she knows why. I think even mm. I think throughout the whole thing until the final sort of ten minutes of episode four, she doesn't stop to ask herself any questions. She just fucking goes at it on that road for justice. Yeah, exactly. But, but, but why and what it's going to do for her, mm. we don't know. And uh, God, we better stop talking about it because I yeah. could really go into it now. <laughs> but uh, suffice to say, yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. Oh, thank I you, think mate. It's, I think it's daring. Yes, it is shocking, but it is it is breaking new boundaries mm. with television. And television, you know, look, there's a time and a place for that lovely Sunday night cuddle that everybody wants. Yeah. and. That's there. That's always going to be there on telly. But doors need to be opened for new dramas like this yeah. to come and and go, look, we, we deserve a place here as well. I think so. And also to do with, you know, people talk so much now about inclusivity and the Me Too movement, feminism. Mm. And there's a much broader conversation. The reason I love Lucy's scripts is because it's Lucy going, all right, but does that mean for all women? Does that mean for everybody? Or is it just the women that you deem fit? Or just the women that you can understand their choices? Or are we doing this properly and this is for everybody? Yeah. Which I think is the best thing about it. And also, you're just talking about inclusivity. Um, You were talking then, so... The main stars of the show are female. Mm. The writer's female. Yeah. The director's female. Yeah. Am I right in saying the DOP was female as well? Yeah, Chloe Thompson. Right, she was female. So Our first was female. Th- was this a big conscious decision? Um, I think it was, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, I think it's always a case of who were the best people for the job. Yeah. But I think it was very much understood that this should be led by women. Um and it really is and across really the board. Is. Yeah. Yeah. And it never really became a thing on set. You know, it was never like we weren't going to set every day going, oh, how great it is. <laughs> our, our team is being led by females. That was never, it just was, it was just there and it was just happening and was a completely natural thing, which is kind of the way it should be. Exactly. You but know? It, yeah, it should be, but it doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. A lot. I, you know, I've been doing this just over 20 years yeah and it's happened once for me really what well, you've been on yeah. set and it's been sort of female led female led female lead female director female producer female first female dop but that was you know f- female writer and it was it was her first commission brand right. new writing and was that recently craig um was it a few years ago a couple of years ago okay and yeah and it yeah, it, did, it was it was incredible. Yeah, it was incredible because I just think it, you kind of pinch yourself because you go, yeah, why doesn't this happen mm. more? Yeah. Because oh, we're so used to that 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 bloke who's the first who's pushing <laughs> the train. Oh, come on, let's move on. We're so yeah, used yeah. to him. Yeah, but well, let's not get too comfortable. Mm. And it's I think it's when you see it in front of you that you realise it makes you see the absence of it. Um, exactly yeah so it was good and it was quite um, it didn't feel like there were any kind of divides either because of that Uh, the crew that worked on it were fantastic and so sensitive to 
you know, even if they weren't sex scenes, the fact that we were talking about you we having these huge um, blow up moments, and these huge moments of drama that are based around sex in one way or another. Yeah, um, and 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 no. what they're talking about is graphic. Well, this is the to, other thing to, I've been saying to, to people. Extreme. It's kind of like it's less about what you see and more about what they talk about. I actually think people might find more graphic. Um, well, they will because there's nothing more major than what goes on in your in mind. Because if you yeah. if you say something, wow, the image is in your head. Yeah, and of so, course, the whole court case that happens in the show and the is based around this one sexual act. You probably can't get much more graphic than, no, than that. No, no. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, it was it was brilliant to do to just go at it. You know, you, it was one of those jobs that you can't hold back. You just got to go at it. You can't uh, do it any of it half-heartedly. But especially with a character like that, because she's not shying away for what she does as a profession. She's out and proud. Yeah, yeah. About what she does. Yeah, it was quite difficult actually when I watched it back because I had this fear come over me where I said, I watched it with my, my mate for the first time and I, was, I went, oh fuck, do you think people are going to like her? Which is such a shit question, isn't it? <laughs> it's just such a, and it should never be your concern as an actor. No. But I was just very aware of, she's so loud to begin with and she's so just vibrant and non-stop and is in this state of constant movement and constant noise. And I was, I started to panic. I thought, oh God, we, I really hope they get on side because of where she ends up. And I think hopefully you do. But um, that was quite interesting playing somebody like that, who is just always... Make always on and mm. always making noise, even in her darkest moments. Yeah, they're not quiet. No, you know, there's one or two, but in her darkest moments, she's noisy about it. Um, so that but trying to find that balance, or or even not even a balance, just giving yourself over to it was quite interesting. But that comes with trust, don't it? Yeah. That comes with the trust of the team around you because if you're going to jump then you need to know that someone's going to be able to catch you absolutely and that kind of should be what it's all about but you know yourself sometimes if there's no trust there Mm. everything's very tense yeah you can feel quite on edge but I think that like you say I mean Chloe shot it in a particular way and Dawn has directed it in a particular way that um, tonally you're in You've got no choice, you know, yeah. and you get to go on this. Even in the moments where you're suffering a bit watching it, there's something quite joyous about it. Yeah, I mean, I must, I'll, I'm not going to lie, there were times when, and I think it was um, even halfway through the first episode, I went, mm. I don't know if I'm emotionally <laughs> stable to, to carry on on this journey mm. right now. Mm. Because because of the tonal shift, and I went, oh, oh no, I'm in quite a good mood, and I, I, this might upset me a bit. Yeah. Um, but it didn't take long to sort of persevere and crack on with it, and then I was in. And That's you know, you, you, I mean, you do have to strap in because it's yeah, yeah, it's, it's a fucking bumpy ride. Yeah. Strap in or strap on, however you want to yeah. look at it, you got to do. Well, 
that's that's a scene we don't need to talk yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> um, what? Just just to sort of end this adult material conversation because look, you'll be having plenty of time to talk about this with mm. um, proper journalists who talk about it, so it's not me. Good, we're going to want to ask it... you about sex work and so on. Yeah, yeah, they will. They'll ask you the usual questions. Yeah. But with a role like this, was it something that you had to take time to think about and process whether to accept? Because it doesn't cut... Something like this and like her does not and probably will not come up again. Yeah, and yes. I I loved it when I read the script. I loved it when I went in for the audition. And um, I was slightly convinced they weren't going to cast me because I was too young. I know they had um, a sort of older character, slightly older character in mind. Um, and then I kind of did what I try to do with most auditions, like we all say, but it never really happens, is to try and forget about it. And let's good just luck, see. Good luck, yeah. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> and then I got the call from my agent. She sort of went, mm, you've been offered it. <laughs> um, which all, my, you know, my friends and family all found hilarious because everyone sort of went, it couldn't be further away from you in the sense of not being particularly... God, how do I say this without going too deep? <laughs> not being sort of particularly forthright with men... You know, like, I'm, I've never been the sort of person to go up and chat to men in bars or anything like that. I've always been quite shy with stuff. Um, and so everybody found it hilarious. And then when I reread the scripts and then sort of had to start thinking about it as a whole thing of going, she's so fucking brilliant. And Lucy's writing is so fucking brilliant. Yeah. But we live in the world that we live in. And this is going to come out. And if people watch it, inevitably people are going to have shit to say. Yeah. And can I cope with that? And can I cope with, um, like I said, getting hold of it and just going at it? Am I sort of brave enough to do that? Brave, like we're brave as fucking hell. But do you know what I mean? You sort of <laughs> I go, do. No, I know. You're I still know going, as much yeah. as, you know, we're not saving lives at all, but you still got to have a little bit of nerve about you. And also it's exposing. Yeah. Yeah. You're stripping away everything and just going, well, I'm diving in. Mm. And she's and I'm going for it yeah. at 100 miles an hour because that's, she doesn't stop. Exactly. And she builds these new relationships as she goes along. And I just need to say how much I loved your relationship with Kerry Godleman. Yeah. And we don't need to talk about that anymore. So we don't good. want any... But yeah. the, the chemistry that you two have is incredible. Oh, thank you. Absolutely incredible. She's brilliant. She's so mm. good. Her humour's fantastic, her timing, everything about her's excellent. Um, I think I always knew I was going to do it, Craig, but I think I just needed the the week of nerves and sort of going to my friends and my family, do you think I should do this? And them all going, yeah, of course you should. It's brilliant. But you know, you know in your gut, and you, you probably did know, but mm. you probably just needed to sound it out, as we all do sometimes, because, you know, we should be pushed and things should be nervous and things, things you know, as we know in this industry, aren't easy and things aren't easy in life. Yeah. So we should do something mm. that's, that rocks the boat and is a little bit scary. Yeah. 
And I think if I hadn't taken it and I saw somebody else play it, I would be, it would break my heart. Well, that's it, isn't it? That's the clincher. Yeah, that, that's how you know, isn't it? That's is, the question. Is it going to be painful to ask, yeah. if somebody else does it and not you? Um, and also, it was just a fucking gift as well. I mean, I've never done a lead on anything and it was like consistently working. You know, it's a, it's a dream at the same time. It's what you want. And also, it's as different to anything you've ever done. Yeah. I mean, it can't I mean, it's get very more different. different. It can get more different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's still still that working class mum, but, yeah, all of those other character traits and, yeah, yeah the she's performance a working, of it is... A, work, a working class mum with a, a middle to upper class lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, she's moved which, herself upper class through this which, job. you know, which she's... You know, I was going to say worked her ass off for, but that's yeah. a bad choice of words. <laughs> well, that's quite accurate, really. Well, <laughs> yeah. Let's let's not go there, Hayley. Yeah, but uh, we'll leave now, the spoilers. Um, am I right in thinking that Lucy comes from like a theatrical background, mm-hmm. playwriting? Yeah. Because I was thinking when I was thinking about you the other day, I was thinking about where I first heard your name. And it was from Neil Maskell. Yeah. Who went to the Royal Court to see your see, play. Like, Maskell was like, I should have paid, I'd never met Maskell then either. And oh, really? I should have paid him money. Because the amount of people that said to me, the reason I came to see your play was because of he's, Neil Maskell. Neil Maskell. <laughs> Just mouthing off to everybody about it. He's, he's the best PR anybody could have, yeah, surely. He's Jim. Yeah. How, what, how old were you when that got put on? Um... So I'd left, bloody hell, 2012, so it was eight years ago. I'm 32 now. What are those maps? 24? Yeah, yeah, early. 24. Um, Yeah, that play came about um, when I was leaving drama school. I started, the first thing I wrote was we were in our third year and leading up to our showcase. Mm. You know, where you all get on stage and have a minute and a half to sell yourself to agents who go and watch a million of these things. <laughs> so you can then become unemployed for the next three years. Um, listen up, kids, listen up. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great industry, it's really good. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, I wrote a monologue for that because there was nothing that really... They sort of said to a bunch of us, you've only got a minute. And I couldn't find anything that was a minute long that would do what I needed it to do. And so I decided I was going to write a monologue, um, which one of my tutors loved. And then from there, he sort of said to me, you should think about writing a play, a full-length play. So as I was leaving drama school, I wrote the first draft of Vera, Vera, Vera. We were going to put it on, a group of us were going to put it on. Mm. And then I saw that the Royal Court were doing the Young Writers Festival and I sent it to them to sort of go or they workshop it, or do a reading. And then they called me and said, you've been selected and we're going to put it on for three and a half weeks in the theatre upstairs. Oh, my God, just like that? Yeah. Yeah. They, well, they did, like, a sort of interview over the phone. Yeah. I didn't really know what the fuck was going on, to be honest. They were sort of, I don't, didn't really know what... I was just chatting to them. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then they put it on. And then it went to the theatre local in Peckham, um... And Maskell's good friend, Tommy McDonnell, who's a brilliant mm. actor, was in it. He did a beautiful performance. And um, and then from there I got a literary agent 
And people sort of went, maybe you're, you're a writer. And then actually that took up a lot more of my time than anything else did. Certainly more than acting did in those first sort of five years at drama school. Um, Was the writing something that came easy no. at first? No. No. Well, that play did. Yeah, that play did. But that was it was, a, it was an expansion from that monologue? Yeah, kind of. And I just sort of, I heard, it, that play is just five scenes of people having conversation with each other. There's no real, there's a sense of plot in terms of backstory and the mm. idea that they've lost a family member. Um, but the rest of it was just about how they then relate to each other and grief and how they deal with their grief. And I was at home, I'd moved back to my mum's and I was in my box room and I would write it at night, just put music on and sit and write these scenes. And that's how they formed themselves. I suppose I was kind of ripping off Simon Stevens a little bit, because I always loved his plays. And his plays were just sort of five scenes of people talking to each other and trying to relate to each other. Well, um, well, and it was wanting all, to do... We like, all steal, steal from the best. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've told him that as well, that I sort of... I think there's probably even some lines of his in there. But, um, I, bet he was, I bet he was flattered. Yeah, well, he was, he was very helpful, actually. He was, I've spoke to him quite a lot when I was still writing for theatre and yeah, he gave me some good guidance in sort of finding what your thing is, find the one thing that you're obsessed with, the one idea or the one um, sort of question about life that you have and just keep writing about that until you think you've answered your own question. Did you find the question? Um... I think so. I think it's to do with... Mm, have I? Yeah, I think it's probably to do with family and to do with... Um, kind of what we inherit from each other. Right. Um, and... trying to be really articulate with this, Craig, and I can't quite... <laughs> A lot of it was to do with... Um, the balance of love and hate within mm. family and the idea if one, you can't have one without having the other. Um, and that they sort of feed each other. Yeah, because we need that balance. Yeah, and yeah. and I suppose how is it, and how love can mutate into um, something that can become quite hateful or dark but it's always born out of love, you know. People's different ways of expressing love to the people that are closest to them, that are blood. Yeah. Um, and loss as well, I think, is something that fascinates me in writing. And there's so many different forms of love. Mm. Yeah. Which has always fascinated me. Yeah. Well, I sort of think it's the most important thing in the world, so that question is never-ending, isn't it? Um well, that and happiness, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not, which I, not, again, is... Not that the Who two the are, fuck knows the answer to that one? <laughs> yeah. Who knows the and answer to that one? Obviously, this is going to be a five-hour podcast yeah. where we <laughs> dissect happiness and love. Yeah. Really. Um, um, just speaking about family, mm. can we go back and talk about growing up? Yeah. And talk about your family. So where... Is it... Is it I'm going to say, is it Forest Hill? Yeah, it was Forest Hill when I was a kid. Now, yeah. I don't know South London that well. Okay. It is South London, isn't it? Yeah, it is South London. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Whereabouts is that? Yeah, it's near Sydenham. 
It's Sydney Way. Right. Um, okay. So, but I lived in Forest Hill before they got coffee shops and the overground. Um, so, yeah, we grew up, I grew up there. Well, I say, I say I grew up there. We moved from there to Elton. I think we moved to Elton when I was about 10 or 11, which was mm. sort of considered a, a bit of a step up in South London. Right. Heading out towards Kent. Um, and it was me, my mum, my dad and my older brother. Um, What's the age difference between you and your brother? 18 months. He's older. All right. <clears throat> yeah, Sean. He's 18 months older than me. Um, yeah, so it was just the four of us. And my mum and dad are both only children, so we never had any aunties or uncles or cousins around. So it really right. was quite close. Real tight-knit Yeah, family. and then yeah. our grandparents on both sides that were nearby. Um and then we moved from there to Elton for a couple of years and then my mum and dad decided they'd had enough of London and needed to get out, I think, before my brother got any older. Right. Um, and got up to God knows what. Not that that stopped him, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it happened in a different environment. Um, so we moved to Kent just before I turned 14. Hmm. We got in the car one day. We used to go to Canberra Sands and Rye for holidays. We never went abroad. Because my mum wouldn't fly and my dad didn't like the sun. Right, okay. So we would go down to, um, to Rye and to Canberra Sands. And so we got in the car one day, me, my mum and my dad, and we just started driving in that direction. Saw a sign for this town that I live in and pulled off. They went into an estate agent and the first house they found was something like £850 a month rent, detached, three bedroom with a garden, which was even when I was 14, was unheard of in London. You know, you mm. couldn't do that for that money. And obviously it's got a lot worse now. So we, I think we packed up and left within about two months. Right, quick turnaround. Yeah, which was but I suppose if you decide and go, if they're making that decision. Yeah. And I was, I was just thinking before about you, because you were moving sort of two or three times by the time you were 14. Mm. How was it sort of moving... Having that time at school, embracing friendships, making friendships, and then moving and leaving was that. I found difficult? it really hard. I, I found it really hard being. I remember going to school in Kent for the first time, the first day, and people coming up to me asking me who I was related to. Because so many people, there's sort of big families here, and a lot of people live most of their lives in Kent, and everybody knows each other. Yeah. I mean, it's not even like it's that smaller town. But I remember going home to my mum and going, this, I can't do this. Um, and was also sort of quite painfully shy. My brother was very sociable um, and made very good friends straight away. But I was very, very shy with it and struggled. Were you, all, were you always shy, Hayley, or do you think that was a result of the, the, move, the moves? I was always shy. I was always a bit of right. a... And my mum used to say, well, I'd just cling to her leg as a child. I mean, but if my mates, my mates, there's nothing shy about me when I'm with the people that I know and love. But as a kid and as a teenager, yeah, mm. sort of um, not necessarily quiet, but no, I suppose nervous is probably a better way to put it rather than shy. Yeah. Very nervous. Um, were, were you quite cautious? Were you someone that would stand back and observe before you? Sort yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. And worried it's very shy I don't know where I, to this day I don't know where it came from but worried about 
Um, which is so weird now when I think about it. But sort of worried about confrontation or worried about people sort of instigating something with me and I wouldn't know how to handle it, you know? So not worried about how you would be perceived in any way? No, more just I just wanted to be left alone. God, where did that come from? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it did come from the fact that we lived in London and we were such a tight family and I spent all my time with my brother or mm. or my mum and dad. Maybe. Um, but then as soon as I found my friends, it was fine. Yeah. Um, you know. But, you know, once you find your tribe, then that's it. You yeah, just once you've got and... your people, you're, yeah. you're all right. But, um, and then Sometimes. it was the complete opposite, that people couldn't shut me up. But, <laughs> yeah, that feeling of, I remember it, just thinking about it now, the first few months when we moved to Kent, it was like... Luckily, my mum worked at the school, but just... I used to be sick with nerves every day. Yeah. It's, cr- it's crippling. It, you're, it's like you're just being strangled mm. physically. Yeah. And just didn't want to... I don't know. It's strange. It's weird, actually. I haven't thought about it in a long time. But, um, yeah, I remember just feeling constantly feeling like I was sick with nerves until I settled down. Did that affect your sort of academic work at school or anything like that? No, I kind of was all right, actually. Yeah. Um, I never particularly loved it, really. I mean, some lessons, English and history, I loved. Same. Because it wasn't, you know, formulaic and a right or wrong answer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But also there was a constant source of information streaming in and mm-hmm. and you could delve into the past, especially with history. I mean, I just adored it. Yeah, I did. And if, I suppose, they fed into one another and, you know, and then fed into drama. Yeah. Um, so, no, academically, it didn't really affect me and I sort of was able to just get on. Probably when I became more social was when, you know, in year 11, I had to really concentrate on my GCSEs because I was too, I was off doing other things. Um, but, yeah, I was quite... Quite good academically. Were you were you writing at this point? Were you ever sort of tinkering around with? Yeah, I used to write. When I was a kid, I used to write stories. Mm. Um, I would write stories or try and write poetry. All rhyming, obviously, it was really good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was was, thinking about to. I mean, look to find a minute and a half of a speech that you connect with in a showcase is hard enough. Mm. But to go, do you know what? I'm actually going to write something myself takes a, takes a lot of nerve at that stage. Yeah, I was so in, pissed in, off at that point, Craig. I was just like, I'm just going to do it. By third year of uni, I was so angry. Yeah. And pissed off about the whole way it was run, that I was just ready to... I think I actually said to them I wasn't doing the showcase, and then my friend Henry came to me and was like, "You, you need, you have to do it. It's ridiculous. You've got to do it." Um, and then took this monologue in. But yeah, as a kid, I used to write stories, mm. like nonsense, but I quite yeah. liked. But still, it's about getting things down on the page, especially mm. as a kid. Yeah, I just used to write mad shit that didn't mean anything, and I'd give it to my mum and dad to read. Um, but anything creative, really. Mm. Anything creative. I used to like drawing. I was no good at it, but I used to just like sit and drawing or painting and 
listening to music. That's what I mean. I think that's why I probably struggled as a teenager because as a kid, I was in my own little world, doing my own thing, reading a lot. Um, I suppose it's probably a bit geeky, really. A bit creative, geeky. Um, well, I think you'll find a lot of people are. Mm. You're certainly not on your own now. Yeah, but love it. Are you still a big reader? I hadn't been, actually. I'd sort of... Not for the last sort of six or seven years, I'd kind of given up with reading. And then over the last year, I've got back into it. Mm. Um, I think with work and also with writing, weirdly, I've always... I always feel like I should be doing something else rather than sitting reading a book. But I find it... Um, Kind of like my form of meditation. Yeah. Because I just don't think about anything else. If I find a good book, I can sit with that for hours and just don't totally cleanse my mind. I find it quite hard because I adore reading and sometimes I just don't have the time to sit down and just go, right, I'm just going to take a couple of hours and I'm just going to do this. Yeah, do you feel a bit guilty about it? I do because I feel that there's always something that I need or should be doing. Yeah, me too. And I find it hard to sit down and read at work mm. because, you know, you get those those little pockets yeah. of stolen time yeah. that are kind of yours just to have, like, a cup of tea and you sit down and as soon as you finish a page, yeah. then you're up and you're back to work. I don't and know I how people back. do that at work. No, I can't, but I can't do it. No, I can't. Because I, end, I ended up you know, rereading the same page three or four mm. times before I kind of get into it and I know I've got half an hour and then somebody sits down next to me and goes, what are you reading? And I just close the book and it just ruins <laughs> yeah. it for me. <laughs> Completely shatters it. Also, I think because you're trying to... I hate that little pockets of time at work. That's why I like continuous days. I hate yeah. stopping. Yeah. But you're you're sort of trying to keep hold of what you you might be called to do in five minutes or 45 minutes. I always panic that I'm going to lose my lines if I start reading a book, which sounds really yeah. silly. But I feel like no, in 45 minutes, when you call me, I'm not going to know what I'm meant to be saying. No, especially if you've got... Well, it doesn't matter. However large or small the scene is, you've got mm. to be there and you've got to be in it and you've got to know everything backwards. Yeah. But I like peace and quiet and I like to mm. concentrate and sort of delve into the world of whatever yeah. I'm reading. And I can't do that because most of the time sets are quite you know notoriously busy and there's always mm. something going on yeah and there's never really anywhere for you to sit is there it's like here's no. a chair but it's here's a chair with all of this shit going on around <laughs> and you. then all, and then also I, I always get worried that if i take myself off somewhere like by myself people all get the ump or they'll yeah, go yeah. What's, You're not what's, ready. What's, what's up with them who does he think he is yeah exactly yeah, mr artistic over there with his book <laughs> yeah. yeah no i know i know what you mean <laughs> yeah um, so, end of school. What was uh, what was the plan, or was or wasn't the one? Um, I think I knew from about fifteen that I wanted to act. Right. Um, we were. Were he- you going? Were you going to drama clubs or anything like extracurricular? Or only at school. I never went to any stage schools, any summer schools, anything like that. <sighs> I did all of it through my actual school. Again, coming down to the shyness, I would. I'd beg my mum to take me somewhere I'd go one day and then she's like I'm not doing it because you don't stay and you want to come home and you get panicked so no um but actually when I was going into year 10 and year 11 I found I'm very very good friends with my old drama teacher she's one of my my good friends 
still to this day and I kind of found a tribe of people and then ended mm. up staying on at school to do my BTEC in performing arts. Right. Um, and then from there it was about getting into drama school. I kind of knew that. There was, there was a little bit of back and forth in year 11 about was I going to go and do A-levels. And I got into a, to a private school in Canterbury to go and do my A-levels, an all-girls school. Mm. And we went to the open evening and my mum and dad both flipped to me and was like, nah, you won't, this isn't for you. And you it won't thrive here. You won't, yeah, it's not what you want to do. They were so good about that. They're just going, you know what you want to do, so just get on and do it. Yeah. There was never any question. Um, so then, yeah, it was just about getting into to drama school and I got into Rose Bruford when I was 17 and then took a year out, which was meant to be saving money, but, of course, it was just going out and being stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Being, being, <laughs> being a 17-year-old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. then did you defer that place at deferred Rose Bruford? It. Yeah, deferred so, it for a year. Um started the following year, 2007, I think it was. Right. I started and did three years there. Happy time? Frustrating time? All of them. Yeah? <laughs> All of them, yeah. It was second year I loved. I loved second year. I'd found my friends and I loved the work that we were doing. First year I had a kind of... Inverted snobbery about me. Sort of turned up Did and you? was like, none of you are going to understand me. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, a complete bullshit, of course. Um, but I had a chip on my shoulder a little bit mm. and uh, I found it a little bit difficult because it's all that stuff about just be, just be yourself, find who you are. And all of it's so important, of course, but at the time I was like, I remember saying to a tutor once, so what you're saying is if I stand up and cry in front of everybody, I'll get a first. Because everybody who's got a first has stood up and cried in front of everybody. And everybody who hasn't has got shit marks. And essentially that was what it was. <laughs> um, shit. Wow. But obviously they're trying to sort of break things down for you, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but by second year, once we were getting into text work and, you know, studying the plays and what they meant and the political work... Um, and Shakespeare, I was, yeah, I loved all that. And then third year, yeah, frustrating, as I think it is for every single person that ever goes to drama school. And also, it's scary because you're coming out mm. and you're going, oh, well, I had three years to sort of mess up and fail yeah. and get a load of things wrong. And now I'm, now they're pushing me out into the big, wide world. I can't really afford to do that anymore. I can't. Yeah. I can't fail. And it's a bit like being in, um, I think anyone who's gone and done three years at drama school, it's such a crap analogy, but it's like being in Big Brother because you live together. Everybody lives together. Yeah. Your friends are every day. Everyone goes out together. You all sleep in each other's houses. You all feed each other. End up sleeping with each other. End up sleeping with each other (laughs) for some people. Yeah. (laughs) you, you know, nobody's got any money. So I sort of, no. my mate Rob used to do, who I live with in my third year, he would do a big Sunday roast for everybody. And that was the meal that everybody sort of knew they were having that week. Everybody, there would be like 10 of us would be in our house and Rob would cook for everybody. Um, so you're very, it becomes a family thing, doesn't it? And mm, also yeah. you have that thing of going, 
I know everything now. I'm in third year. I'm ready. Employ me. Watch what I'm going to go and do. Then you come out. And realise, oh, kind of don't know anything. Yeah, don't know anything and no one wants to employ me. Yeah. So, but I would still say to anyone, go to drama school if you want to do it because it's just for the experience and the pe- more than anything, the people that will eventually become your friends for life. You're bound to find them there. And also about who you are at that age. Yeah, like you say, it gives you that time to fuck around. Was, yeah, I was just turned, I was kind of just about your age, I was just turned 18 Yeah. when I left Blackpool and just legged it to London thinking... <gasps> London, yeah. London. And Where then, did you uh, go, Craig? What school did I you went go to? Went to Mount View in Wood Green. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. And I ended up working at Pizza Hut and getting the orders wrong intentionally, so I could <laughs> feed all my mates on the way home and then deliver them the, the wrong pizzas. Really? Exactly. It's it's all about the scams when you're. <laughs> it is all about the scams. It really yeah. is. Um, but yeah, having yeah, those three I, years where you can just work mess it out, up. Yeah. yeah, and be messy and just it's but all right. I, I, I don't think it was a bad analogy. I think it was quite perfect to say that it is like Big Brother. Mm. Because it really is. Yeah. And it is a shock when you come out. Yeah. Yeah, and it the- really fucking is. It's, and they, I'll tell you what they don't do, and I don't think any drama school does it, and it's not like they need to sit you down and give you a talking to about the real world, but you're built up in this way to go... These are my skills. And you're sort of on that cusp of being able to possibly be brilliant. And they do not prepare you for the fact that you come out. And everyone goes, yeah, the industry's hard, the industry's hard. But you have to push. Keep pushing. Push everything. Push yourself. Network with people. Put yourself on social media now. And it's like, actually, just by the time you finished a three-year course in that, you're probably completely mentally drained anyway. You've got to go back to your family. Mm. You've got to go and work in Pizza Hut. You've mm. got to find a way to pay for this shit. And then you've got to deal with everybody else that you know going on auditions or getting jobs or not getting jobs or who's doing this and who's doing that. And don't think they prepare you for just how... Considering how um, involved our minds are in our work, I don't think they prepare you for what that can do to you. Because they're in that third year... They're big old days. You'll mm. start, you're starting early, you're finishing late, you're constantly on the mill, you're constantly yeah. reading, learning, dissecting, asking questions, still failing, getting worried, and then all of a sudden you're gone, mm. you're, you're let out, the gates are open, you fly out, yeah. but there's nothing there anymore, so you, you wake up and your days aren't filled with what they were for that Mm. hugely intense period of time Mm. so you've got nothing and you feel you know it's all very well and good that they go push 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 do this do that network network. but if you feel completely stripped naked and and you don't feel confident and what are you supposed to do and i was exactly i've spoken before about this a bit i always think aftercare yeah. After, aftercare is mm. such an important thing. And I don't know... Look, drama schools change all the time. I don't know who does it now, but I think it's, I think it's something vital. Mm, I do. Especially for the, the mental health of, of sort of recent graduates. Yeah. And also mm. you're going back to your 
You also go back to your families or your friends or whoever, having been sort of locked away in this world. Mm. You go back and it's like, I think particularly with our business, there's a sense of success or failure. You're going to do something big or you're going to do nothing at all, which of course isn't the case. But it's what a lot of people believe. And then you go back and, which is so important, I think, in a way, I went back to Rose Bruford a couple of years ago and they asked me to give a talk to graduates about what I'd learned. I sort of went, right, okay. I said, my advice would be go for the summer, go home to wherever your home is, if it's with your mates, if it's with your family, if it's on your own in a certain place. Go home and just give yourself five minutes. Just work out what that is to go and have a drink in the pub near you or go for a walk with your family or sit in your house and have some dinner and just calm down. (laughs) Just calm down for five minutes because it's important to have that other aside from the job or aside from the industry because otherwise eventually you're... God, it's taken a really dark tone, isn't it? But <laughs> eventually you'll burn out. You will burn out. Yeah. But it's a little bit you know, you've got those tutors saying, This is what you should do. Mm. And we've got to remember they are tutors. Yeah. And they're not out there. I was I always learnt the most of people who were coming in from the business who were working today to teach us because mm. they were going well they're out there they they kind of know what's going on as yeah. as directors or whatever they were doing within the business and it, yeah and it's all very well and good them going do this do that do that but it's like what you were saying before i think it's really important you know you're talking about when you were feeling cautious at school and you would sort of sit to sit back mm. and observe and just just shut up for a bit and yeah. listen and watch, and then your time will come yeah. to dive. And I think that's really important, to sit back. I do. I think it's the best thing that you can... Obviously, at all different points in your life, but particularly leaving drama school, to just sit and don't be that person who's going on social media and hashtagging every fucking thing. Like, it's just... It's not good for you. None of it's any good for you. It's just going to make you manic. And it's sort of um, going out into a... Into a void, essentially. And also, look, ambition is fantastic if it's healthy. And as long as it isn't... Desperate. Desperate and gratuitous. Mm. Because it'll come back on you. Yeah. And it's it's not healthy. It's not good for you. It's not, and you're not being fair to yourself. No, that's another thing. I think certain graduates aren't fair to themselves. Mm. And it's all it's all baby steps. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very rare is it's you're just gonna be plucked from obscurity <laughs> and and put on that pedestal. Mm. We've seen we've seen it and it happens. Yeah. And it's great when it happens to the the great people who yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when it happens to the one who uh, that you like, who deserves it. What the one who's still working in the coffee shop who's better yeah. acting than any of us. Exactly. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah. still there. Yeah. yeah. So did you learn that the hard way, the easy way, graduating? Um, 
Were you listening to that advice? Or were you sort no, of trusting sort your own of, gut? I sort of, I don't know, really. I was, um, I moved back to Kent and was actually still in a relationship with my ex and was juggling, working it all out really, Craig. Yeah. I, you know, I went back to my old school to work as a PA. I was kind of auditioning, kind of not really, didn't really know what I was doing. Where was um, your heart at this point? Was your heart in it or were you a bit... I was just a bit tired. I was a bit tired. I was a little bit pissed off. Um, and that's actually when writing happened, which I think was a saving grace. Because um, it allowed me to be at home also to work, but to sort of have some kind of motor that was going that nobody else could get involved with. Yeah. That was the other really nice thing about it, was that that was just mine. And you were in charge of your own creative output there. Yeah, which I find more and more actually as the years have gone on, that sort of control over something is, I actually realise is quite important to me. Um, and then, yeah, just sort of, I, it's all a bit of a blur, really, to be yeah. honest. That period well, of time is a bit of a of weird blur. Of I don't really know what I was doing. <laughs> I was just sort of trundling along. Was there any points where you th- thought about sacking it all off um yeah a good few times last year at one point really yeah yeah I've done it there's been a couple of times I think most of us have though haven't we I think I think everybody flirts with it Mm. and I think there's actually very few who are committed to thinking that yeah and then there's the very rare few who actually go through with it mm. and go, I'm going to retrain. Yeah. And then there's others that, you know, th- through no fault of their own, just fall by the wayside because it's, the just, business. it's just the way it is. Yeah. And it's just not happening. Well, I had a time before, so I think end of 2014, start of 2015 was when I was really considering it. And then I, Daniel Blake, happened. And then last... I'm trying to think, I'm losing track of time. Then last year, the start of last year, around January, February time, um, I was... I'd had a conversation with my mum. I was like, I think I have to either put everything into writing Mm. and work out how how I can direct... It needs to be something still in this industry. It needs to be this, but I can't. It can't be acting anymore. And then adult material happened. Was it, or is it, the lack of control that gets you? Or I think so. I think it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it is. And I only say that because you touched into writing then, obviously, but then you did mention directing. So yeah, I'm thinking right. Hayley needs con- as control. As we all do, we need to have some control. There's I think it stability. is. I think it's the thing of... It's my brain wanting to do it all and the fact that I'm not just interested, interested in acting. I'm interested in the whole thing. My favourite thing is to go and work with a team of people and make something together. In the same way when I was at drama school, my favourite thing to do was sit and watch other people in the class get up and work. Mm-hmm. And I sit for hours and just watch other people work. I love doing that. 
Same as when the plays have gone on and I've gone into the rehearsal room and watched the actors get up and do the work, but be part of it. Um, so that sort of part of it is actually the, the real want to create and be a part of the whole thing rather than just my part of acting, um, which is to do with control, I think. But also last year it was kind of... I'd got to that point where I think everyone experiences at some point where you have a number of jobs that don't go your way. Yeah. You're not particularly fussed about anyway. But still, that's not the point. It's not the point. <laughs> and then you have to go into the room with people and there are particular people that you go into the room and meet and you think, why the fuck am I jumping through hoops for you, for this job, for you to even not receive what I'm doing particularly well, not really give me your time? Yeah. And then I've got to do a dance for three months about whether or not I'm going to get do this job that I'm actually not actually that fussed about, but would just quite yeah. like to work. And I had a couple of those last year. Um, and also you can tell sometimes in those rooms if there's no complicity between you two or you and or some yeah. of the members of the creative team, you go, well, let's be honest, we're grown-ups here, we've all got to work together, yeah. and I don't think this is going to work, so no. should we just not? Yeah, exactly, and that's what you want to say, and it's that yeah, thing of not of being able, you're always in that position where you have to be ever so slightly grateful. So you're always, it doesn't matter how far you are along the game, mm. then you're going to slide back down the snake and you're at, you're at stage one again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was last year I went into, there's this thing that I'd been, they'd been dancing around with it. It's off the table, it's on the table, it's off the table, it's off, the, anyway, went back in for this final recall on something that turned out to be good. I wasn't particularly fussed about the part, but I also needed to work and wanted to work. Yeah. I went into the recall and the director was sat eating fucking cheese and grapes in this, in this audition. Mm. Just sat munching. <laughs> it just sort of completely blew my mind a little bit. I was standing in front of this camera with this dress on that I'd been asked to wear going through this again four months down the line. And they were sat eating cheese and grapes while I was doing it. And it's just little things like that, Craig, that I go, I can't fucking do this anymore. Well, let's just reverse it. And you walk in to that recall mm. munching on cheese and grapes. Yeah. You leave that room, <laughs> you're, getting a, you're getting a phone call yeah. from your agent going, going hey, nuts. what the fuck? What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. I went in, just, I'm not going to do more distance stories, but I went in once for a part, wasn't that fussed, but kind of just wanted to work. Mm. And I, and sometimes you just need to audition because it's kind of good practice. Yeah. Because you always have to keep, you know, the cogs greased, yeah. so to speak. Um, I'm reading and his phone goes off. Answers it, very quickly turns it down. He said, oh, I'm really sorry about that. I said, oh, no, no, no problem. That's fine. He didn't turn it off because two minutes later I start again and his phone rings again. Oh, fuck. I was absolutely raging. What did you again, do? And then you're not in a position where you can say anything. Well, I spoke to the agent. You but did. still, I did think if the shoe is on the other foot mm. and my phone went off twice... Yeah somebody would on, be on the phone talking about how unprofessional yeah. that was. How unprepared you were, how unprofessional you yeah. are. Yeah. 
They've given you their time and energy, so therefore you should be coming in. That's what I mean. Exactly. It's that imbalance, Craig, that I find a little bit too... Uh, it affects me a little bit too much sometimes. But I understand. And mm. I, think, I think you should question it. And I think, you sh- I think you should be angry with it, and we should be angry with it, as long as it's not detrimental to ourselves. Mm. But it's like, yeah. well, wait a minute, this needs to get spoken about. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's not, and you know those jobs where it's not us and them. You know where it's everybody mucking in. And I, mm. certainly from what you're saying, adult material certainly sounds like one of those jobs where yeah. everybody just was on the same page and everybody grasped together and there's no hierarchy. Mm. And that's when everything is smooth. Even when there might be bumps on the way, you're all, you're all going through it together. Yeah, I think it's the only way it works. Ultimately, or, or, or is worth it. Maybe it's not the only way it works, but maybe I think it's the only way that it's ever worth it. Well, that, maybe that, that's what we need to keep questioning with mm. ourselves. Yeah. As, ever, as we all should. And mm. I'm not just talking about the acting profession, I'm talking about everything. Well, yeah. I mean, this is something that's come to the forefront, hasn't it? This yeah. year. Yeah, exactly. Where you sort of go, looking at the whole of life and going, what's worth it? And if I'm not enjoying it, why am I doing it? And of course, life isn't that simple, but... No, but... If it's causing you more grief than good, don't do it. (laughs) And I think we should all keep asking those questions. Mm. Hayley, this has been lovely. I'm so pleased that we finally got you on, because I know we've been discussing this for ages. And the one thing that I'm glad we haven't discussed is Joe Dempsey's facial hair in the first few episodes. I think he's probably really glad that we're not discussing that as well. Okay. Um, I'm not going to... I'm not... I'm definitely not going to edit that out. And that's funny because this, sec- this is the second week running that Joe Dempsey's name's come up in a oh, podcast. Really? Yes. Yeah. And he's a lovely man. You should try doing a scene opposite him where the glue's coming unstuck on that facial hair. I just wouldn't like to do a scene with him full stop because he just crack- cracks me up too much. <laughs> Um, Hayley, uh, loads of love and thank you so, so much. And to for you, mate. On. Thank you this for having been, me. This has been brilliant. Cheers. You take mate. care. I'll speak, I'll speak to you speak soon. To you soon. Right. Take care. Bye. 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 And another episode is done. Well, that just proves that good things come to those who wait. And yeah, I waited a good couple of years for that conversation. But I'm really thrilled that Hayley came on. It's good, right? It's a good one. And what we can all take is keep asking questions all the time, all the time. Um, I really, really hope you enjoyed that. I really do. Um, yeah, I'm now tongue-tied. But hey, look, um, there's not a lot to say apart from thank you for downloading and subscribing and sharing and telling your friends and for everybody that has that continues to support us through Patreon and I'm only pushing it because I know it's been a very difficult year for for, for us all and people uh, drop off and they come back on but if you want to help us if you can for you know anything from a dollar upwards it's all in american but it, it, 
it converts, don't worry. Go to patreon.com forward slash the two shot podcast and check out what you can do. Um, we are organizing some badges for you and some very useful tote bags and possibly one or two other surprises. Um, I am talking to head honcho producer Griff next week and we're hopefully going to uh, meet up and have a socially distanced brew and a brainstorm. So uh, after we've done that, I'll talk to you about it next week and we shall see until then. Thank you so much for being here and uh, take care. Look after yourselves, all right? Until then, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff and this has been the Two Shot Podcast. You take care. I'll see you next week. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. Cheers.